This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Galatians 5, 26 through chapter 6, verse 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So this morning's uh, passage and sermon, uh, they're both uh, all about gospel community. Uh, if you're familiar with Paul's letters, let's say you're a participant in the City Bible Reading Program. If you're familiar with his letters, you know that Galatians, like many of his letters, if not all of his letters, Galatians starts out primarily theological, and you might say theoretical, and then ends uh, primarily practical. And so we're in that section of Galatians. Our text is in chapter five and in chapter six. And we're in that portion of Galatians where Paul is applying to our lives in practical ways, the deep and the rich and the thick and the amazing and the eternal theological truths that he defined and defended uh, in chapters uh, one through four. And so as Paul begins to get practical, he begins to speak about gospel community. If you would, look at the one another commands or the community commands of chapter 5, verse 26, and of chapter 6, verse 2. Also, if you would, look at the address to the body, to the churches, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. Paul uh, says, quote, brothers. If you have an English Standard Version translation, which is what I preach out of, you'll see in the footnote uh, that, that just as legitimate a translation is brothers and sisters. That's just as legitimate as brothers because the Greek word here really means siblings. Uh, the Greek word here can be used for male brothers, and it can be used for brothers and sisters, and it can even be used for just sisters. And so by Paul addressing us as one another, he's saying, I'm talking to you as a community. And by Paul reminding us that we're siblings in God's family, he's reminding us that God has adopted us as individuals. God has set his affections upon us as individuals. And then God has set us into his family to live life in community and to live life as brothers and sisters, having the great Jesus as our big brother and the eternal God, uh, the Father in heaven as our Father. And so you'll notice that at the end of Paul's letters, when things get the most practical, Paul will tell you how to respond to the gospel. Paul will tell you how to continue to experience the gospel. Paul will tell you how to live your individual life in the context of community, and in the context of family. And so with that thought in mind, I want to give you three points on gospel community this morning. I want us to see three points on family living from our passage, okay? Paul gives us the law of gospel community. Uh, Paul warns us of the temptations in gospel community. And then Paul alludes to the foundation for gospel community, okay? The law, the temptation, and the foundation, 
So first, uh, Paul gives us the law of gospel community. Here's the law in short. Interdependent burden bearing. Interdependent burden bearing. Look at verse two. Bear one another's burdens. And so thus, in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. And so the law of Christ is the law that Christ gave in his earthly ministry, and it's the law that Christ lived in his earthly ministry. As you recall, our call to worship this morning was from John 13. And in John 13, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. The context, what's going on with Jesus and the disciples when he gives that command is Jesus has just washed their feet. Jesus has just served them. In fact, when John introduces the foot washing episode in John chapter 13, verse one, he says this, having loved them, he loved them to the end. He disrobed, he put on a towel, he began to clean, to clean out the dung from between their toes that would have been there in the culture in which they lived. Love is not a being verb in the, in the Bible. Love is an action verb in the Bible. To love is to serve. To love is to decrease. To love is to pay. To love is to die. And Paul says in verse two that we fulfill the law of Christ, the law he lived, the law he gave. We fulfill the law of love when we, quote, bear one another's burdens. So again, if you want to define love biblically, add burden bearing to your list. So the law of gospel community is the law that Christ gave and lived. It is the law of love and it's fulfilled when we are in interdependent burden bearing. Think about the word interdependent for me, with me for a minute. Look again at verse two. He doesn't say bear burdens and by all of us, we all bear each other's burdens. Paul wants to make sure we know that in this command, he, he is calling for a thoughtful interdependency. Bear one another's burdens. I'm here to bear your burdens. You're here to bear my burdens. My ability to bear your burdens does not negate my need for you to bear my burdens. The, the best way for me to explain interdependence is to compare it to two other words. Those words being independence and codependence. I only give you this because these are words we use in our culture and it might help you distinguish between what Paul is calling us to and, and what we're tempted to. Interdependence is this, we need each other. Independence is this, you may need me, but I don't need you. Codependence is this, I need you more than you need me. Or watch this, I need you to need me more than I need you. Codependence is needing someone too much. Independence is not needing anyone at all. Interdependence is being appropriately needed and appropriately needy at the same time, bear one another's burdens. This is the law of gospel community, that we as God's children would live in close enough proximity to one another to know what one another's burdens are, to come alongside one another, and to put part of the weight of the other person's burden onto us. Now, before we apply this practically, uh, let me show you why I'm using these three words, interdependence, independence, and codependence. Look at verse five. For each will have to bear his own load. So on the one hand, verse two, bear one another's burdens. 
On the other hand, verse five, each will have to bear his own load. If you read verse five in the context of three and four, you're gonna see that Paul is actually, is actually calling for us to own our own load and to carry our own load. And, and it's a good thing to bear our own load. And in fact, Paul is saying it's a bad thing when we don't carry our load. And so Paul in verse two says that we fulfill the law of Christ when we bear each other's burdens. And at the same time, in the same passage, Paul says, carry your own load and don't let anybody else carry it and don't be tempted to carry theirs. What is Paul saying? Well, it's pretty simple, actually in the Greek language. Burden in verse two is a word that's used for weight that is more than what a carrier is designed to handle on their own. Load in verse five is a different Greek word it's appropriate. It talks about a weight that's appropriate for the carrier to handle. So in Greco-Roman culture and in the Bible, an item is a burden or a load, not based on how much it weighs. It's not like the threshold is 400 pounds. The item is a burden or a weight based on who's carrying the weight. And so we're not supposed to think about these two words in absolute terms. We're supposed to think about them in relative terms to the one carrying them. So in the Greco-Roman culture, a traveling backpack was known as a load. Uh, A baby in the womb of a woman was known as a load. Uh, The reason for this is because the culture expected ordinarily that the person could handle the load. But a container of goods would be called a burden if a human had to carry it. And the same container of goods would be called a load if an ox or a ship was the carrier. You get the point? It's not about weight. It's about who's carrying the weight. And this is what Paul says in Galatians 6. He said, this is interdependency. Each of you has a load that, we're, that, that, that you're called to carry in community. And in fact, it would be wrong to have the community carry your load. Verse five. But with that being said, we all at times are in our lives will be given by God burdens to carry that we're not designed to bear on our own that we all will need others to stand shoulder to shoulder with us in certain arenas of our lives and in certain times of our lives to bear our burdens. To speak metaphorically, trying to hand you my backpack is wrong. And I'm also wrong to try and carry your backpack. But at the same time, I'm wrong to not see your burden and try to bear your burden when you're overwhelmed by it under the sovereign uh, hand of God. Also, this passage tells me that I'm wrong when I try to live in independence, where I try to shoulder my own overwhelming burdens, the ones that God designed for you to help me with. I'm wrong by not inviting you in to help me carry it. And so what happens with this passage is it demands some nuanced thinking. It demands some reflection. It demands community interaction. This passage is telling us that we have to have wisdom to understand it. It feels like the book of Psalms to me where there are these two uh, Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs me, where there are these two Proverbs that seem to contradict one another until you look at them from all angles and you realize how they fit together. So to summarize, interdependence is for us all to carry our load, verse five, and to bear each other's burdens, verse two, as they inevitably arise. Independence is for us to live as though we're never assigned a burden to carry when God actually wants me to help you and you to help me when those are assigned to us. Codependence is to think that individuals don't have a load that only they can or should carry. Interdependence is personal responsibility and dependent humility. 
in community at the same time. Now, my guess is that you probably want me to stop and apply some of this, take this metaphor and flesh it out a little bit. Uh, I I may try and do that here in a little while, but before I do that, let me introduce you to the realm uh, of thought that Paul is in when he gives the guiding principle. I mean, it's my guess that our minds have already categorized burdens as emotional and physical and financial. But it's actually the realm of personal sin, verse one, that led Paul to write this command in verse two. In other words, I think there's a general law on burden bearing. And the example of that law that Paul wrote that caused him to write verse two was verse one. Look at verse one and I think you'll understand. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, not if anyone commits any transgression, but if anyone is overtaken by a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. To be very clear, Paul is talking about besetting sins here. He's talking about overwhelming sins, probably addictive sins. Sins that have gone from the place of a load to the place of a burden. Paul is saying if anyone is caught, overtaken, ensnared, in the custody of any transgression. Have you ever been there? I've been there. You who are spiritual should restore them. What does spiritual mean? Well, on the one hand, if you consider the momentum of chapter five, spiritual just means any Christian living in step with the spirit. At the same time, Paul is gonna use the term spiritual in 1 Corinthians three to talk about mature Christians. So on the one hand, all of us have the chance to be a spiritual Christian. And on the other hand, mature Christians tend to be spiritual most. If you go back to chapter six, verse one, Paul says, when any of us are caught in a transgression, overwhelmed and burdened with a sin, pornography, Drunkenness, anxiety, hopelessness, abusiveness, gossip, materialism. When any of us are under a sin burden, uh, we all, when walking by the Spirit, should, quote, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now, this is fascinating to me. Listen to this. The word restore was used in the Greco-Roman culture for the resetting of a broken bone. If a leg were broken, not fractured, but broken. This is the Greek word that was used for the incredibly painful procedure of resetting that bone. Notice that Paul does not say that the recipient of the surgery will only and simply experience gentleness. He says that the gentle spirit of the surgeon will make the pain of the surgery palatable. Paul means more when he says, bear one another's burdens, but he at least means this when he says, bear one another's burdens. So Trisha and I, we, we recently saw the movie Nonstop. It's with, I think, Liam Neeson, although I'm not great with names. Um, and uh, I will only tell you in this illustration things you can pick up from the trailer. Um, but in the movie, there's a high, I think, uh, there's, this, uh, there's this hijacked plane and it has a bomb on it. And eventually everyone, you'll have to see the movie to see how this happens, but eventually everyone on the plane realizes that the plane is hijacked and that there's a bomb on the plane and that there's an actual terrorist on the plane. And the way it works out is everybody knows all that is true and nobody knows who the others are. And so everyone begins to get really suspicious of other people. And and so in the movie, there's this police officer, I think, if I remember correctly, from New York City, and he has his nose really badly broken in a fight with Liam Neeson, which of course proves that it's a movie because Liam Neeson's so old, he couldn't break anybody's nose. But, But he thinks Liam is the terrorist, and of course, you can pick this up from the trailer, he's not the terrorist. 
So he gets his nose really badly broken, and there's a doctor on the plane for a variety of reasons that this officer is also suspicious of, who this officer thinks Liam Neeson is in uh, cahoots with, right? And so the doctor realizes that this nose is broken in such a severe manner that, that there are dire consequences coming to the officer uh, if he doesn't reset the nose. And so you can imagine the scene. This calm and confident and gentle doctor slowly walks up to a man with a badly broken nose who is utterly convinced that the man approaching him is not, not there for his own good, but is there for his harm. And the doctor very calmly, very quietly reaches both hands up onto the officer's nose and he says, on three. He puts his hands on his nose and he says, one. And I guess if you're a doctor, this is first year med school. He pops it on one instead of three because I guess on three, the person's waiting for it, pulls away from it, makes everything worse. He says, one, pops the nose. The officer screams bloody murder and then experiences the relief that comes from restoration. And the point of the illustration is this, not to hear a spirit of gentleness and think that it's my responsibility for you to only experience gentleness when I rescue you from sin, but that my gentleness might make your rescue from sin palatable. Now, on any other day, this verse in and of itself could be a sermon all to its own, but I want you to think about verse one in the context of the passage. What is the law of gospel community? What's the law of Christ? What's the law of love? Interdependent burden-bearing while not bearing someone else's load. And what's at least one realm in which burden-bearing should happen? Well, according to Paul, it's when any of us gets caught, uh, overtaken, overcome by a sin, and we can't get free. At least one realm in which burden-bearing should happen is when a mature brother or sister takes the burden upon themselves and is used by God to reset that spiritual bone. Now, let let me simply say this. I think verse two goes well beyond verse one. But I think it's really important to note that Paul only mentioned verse one when he gave the general principle of verse two. In other words, in the, in the day and age of, um, um, of extreme makeover home edition, in the day and age of cool, compassionate uh, living, we tend to like burden bearing appropriately so when someone moves in and needs to load or unload a truck. When someone has a massive project that would take them a year to do and we can all do it in a day. When someone has an unexpected bill that arises and we all chip in and pay for it, uh, all of us taking a little bit upon ourselves instead of the, the entire burden being upon the one with the unexpected bill. That is burden bearing. We also tend to like burden bearing or we at least gravitate towards it appropriately so when our neighbor goes through an extraordinary trial And we help bear the burden through extraordinary prayer, extraordinary presence, and extraordinary support. But we have to at least let Paul ask us these questions. Do we like burden bearing when someone is suspicious of us, caught in a sin, in need of tough love? By how how Paul has written uh, chapter six, verses one and two, I can't just help you pay your emergency hospital bills and not also tell you when I see you caught in a sin. I can't just commit to praying for you uh, more frequently, let's say, and bring you a meal when you go through a tragedy and not also tell you that I see you grieving as one without hope in the midst of that tragedy. 
I can't just help you consider ways to plan for a very difficult future and not also tell you when I see you caught in anxiety as you think about that future. This is what Paul is saying. The law of Christ is to let people carry their own loads, but to to shoulder the burdens as they sovereignly come by God. And while I think the realm of realm realms of burdens goes far beyond speaking the truth in love, Paul says, let's just start there. Let's start at that place of resetting the bone when it's out of place. And so Paul gives us the law of gospel community. Okay, it's this interdependent burden bearing. It can be emotional, it can be physical, it can be financial. Uh, it's, it's especially spiritual. And Paul tells us to live in close enough relationship with one another to know when a sibling is in need and to know when a sibling needs help with a burden. And Paul is, is, is expecting us to move into close enough relationship with one another to know when the sibling uh, is having trouble carrying their load and they need to be encouraged in that load and not robbed of the dignity of carrying it themselves. And Paul is also telling us as individuals, particularly if you're like me, that we need to let people get close enough to us to see our lives and where appropriate, help us with our burdens. Where appropriate, help us shoulder the burden that God never intended for us to take on our own. That's the law of gospel community. But the passage also warns us of the temptation in gospel community. At least three times, Paul mentions a temptation in gospel community, and that is this. It is comparing ourselves to and competing with one another. The temptation is to use the close proximity that we have to our brothers and sisters as an opportunity to compare ourselves to them instead of uh, using that as an opportunity to serve them, uh, to use that as an opportunity of competing with them instead of using it as an opportunity to be served by them. Uh, Paul is, is gonna warn both the one assigned the burden and the one assigned to help lift the burden. He's gonna warn both to not think in competitive and comparative ways and to flee from pride and shame. If you'll just stop and think about it, this makes absolute sense. Just think about your life. I've been involved in in helping bear various types of burdens in other people's lives. And inevitably and invariably in those instances, the one receiving the help will say something like this to me. I feel so ashamed. I feel so embarrassed. I feel so worthless. I feel so inferior. I can't believe I'm this person needing this help. And invariably, I struggle with feelings of superiority and pride and hubris and patronizing emotions and less than dignifying thoughts about the one who needs help. Also, I wish it wasn't this way, but in my life, due to the things I just mentioned, I've been the one under a burden. I've been the one in need of help. I've been the one caught in sin. I've been the one who personally tried to privately struggle against sin only to ensnare myself more. And while humility is really good and really necessary in those times, I've felt shame. I've felt inferior. I've felt worthless. I've felt unworthy of friendship and love. I am constantly thinking, how will I ever be able to pay this person back? And Paul is calling us to an interdependence that demands this intimacy and this vulnerability, enough closeness to fight off independence and to fight off codependence. 
But Paul is saying this proximity is going to increase the temptation to compete with and to compare yourself with one another and thereby lose the chance to bear one another's burdens. Three times in the text. Look at verse 26. Let us not become conceited. Conceited or proud is a, is a pretty bad English translation. Uh, we'll come back to this. The word means vainglory. We'll talk about what it means here in a moment. But for now, uh, just see that this word that means vainglory can take you into two radically different places. Let us not become vainglorious, provoking one another, envying one another. The word provoking is literally the word for challenge, to challenge to a fight. This word was used in the Greco-Roman culture when a gladiator was convinced that they could defeat and kill another gladiator. And the gladiator would challenge the other weaker gladiator. They would often even mock the gladiator because they wanted to provoke them into the arena. Provoking, the Greek word itself only happens when one feels superior, higher, and more. And whatever vainglory is, we'll come back to in a second, when struggling with vainglory, we can feel superior to others or we can envy others. When does envy happen? When you feel inferior, lower, and less. Look at the brilliance of Paul. We have to get close enough to one another to carry weight if needed. But in that intimacy, Paul knows that our flesh will be tempted to think in condemning ways towards the one that needs help and in self-condemning ways if we're the one that has to have the help. Look at the last line of chapter 6, verse 1. As you restore the one caught, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul may mean more than this, but he at least means what he wrote in chapter 5, verse 26. Remember, there are no chapters and verses in the original. It's just one long letter. This all goes together in the mind of Paul. Paul is saying, don't let the close proximity to a sibling in need make you susceptible to the sins of feeling superior, worthwhile, and more valuable. In helping people particularly get out under the burden of sin, I almost never struggle. I'm never tempted with what they're failing at. I'm always tempted at pride and hubris and patting myself on the back and thinking too highly of myself. And Paul is saying, you who are spiritual and you restore the one who is under an overwhelming burden, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Look at verses three and four. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Remember that one of the main themes in chapters 5 and 6 is this, that we all must increase in love, we must increase in fruitfulness, we must increase in good works, if we want to have any assurance at all that we're justified by God's grace. Remember, we've been talking about this for about a month. We don't earn our justification, but the proof of our justification is works. And so Paul says there's a wisdom to inspecting our lives. He says there's a wisdom to see if in an appropriate sense you have a, quote, reason to boast. But notice the temptation. The temptation is not to just look at our lives uh, compared to the law of love we see in Jesus. The temptation is to take our eyes off the law of love we see in Jesus and compare ourselves to other people. We'll always do far better 
if we keep it that way. Let's let each one of us test his own work. Then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. Paul knows that if we live in interdependent, burden-bearing ways, we'll constantly be tempted to evaluate ourselves, not by the law of love Christ lived and gave, but by how our neighbor is doing with those same laws. The temptation in gospel community is to use our proximity with other people to feel superior, to feel better, to feel higher. Uh, Our proximity to other people when we are in need will lead us to feeling envy, to feeling lower, to feeling worthless, to feeling like we have something that we need to pay back. And so let's ask, how are we doing? Are we fulfilling the law of gospel community? While not falling into the temptations in gospel community, if we are fulfilling the law, why are we fulfilling the law? And if we're not fulfilling the law, how can we fulfill it more? Let's just think, this week, are we helping other people with burdens and not feeling superior? Are we being helped with burdens and not feeling inferior? Are we able to avoid the Messiah complex of carrying other people's loads? Or do we find ourselves taking loads inappropriately upon ourselves to make ourselves feel good? And again, if we're fulfilling the law of gospel community, how are we able to do that? And if we're not fulfilling the law of gospel community, how can we do it more? I told you this has been a huge theme in chapters five and six, but in this vein, let me remind you of what Paul says in verses three and four. In regards to burden bearing, in regards to slowing down and taking the pain and the burden of another, in regards to becoming uncomfortable when you could have been comfortable, in regards to to life getting messy and life becoming uh, one that's out of control as you labor alongside other people under a heavy burden, in regards to that, Paul says in verses three and four, we should inspect our lives to see if we indeed are working and if we are indeed bearing the burdens of others. You see, the false teachers said that the Galatians had to fulfill the law of Moses to be justified, to be declared righteous by God, to be accepted in God's sight. But Paul said that those who were justified by grace would increasingly fulfill the law of Christ, not the law of Moses, would increasingly fulfill the law of love. If you read chapters one through four, you will walk away from Galatians thinking, I don't have to fulfill a law. You'll have missed the point. The point of Galatians is that you don't fulfill the law of Moses. The point of Galatians is once Jesus fulfills the law of Moses for you, you will increasingly fulfill the law of love. If we're increasingly loving, how did that happen? If we want to increasingly love, how can that happen? This is the third point, the foundation for gospel community. Let's think this out. How can the one bearing a burden, even a burden of sin, get help and not feel inferior? How can one in an episode of life, in an instance of life, be the one mature enough, the one spiritual enough to help another and not feel superior? The answer, anytime there's a sermon of what you should do, how you don't do it, and how you can do it, the answer is always going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. Let us not become conceited. Again, conceited means vainglory empty glory, worthless honor. What Paul seems to be saying by this is let's not try and get our glory, our honor, our weight, our worth. Uh, Let's not try and get our value in vain and empty ways. 
When we do that, we'll provoke each other when we think we're doing well, and we'll envy each other when we think we're doing poorly. I mean, think about the book of Galatians. What were they being tempted with? The false teachers come riding into town and Paul has just told these people, you have the glory and the righteousness and the worth and the identity and the value of Jesus Christ. And the false teachers come in and say, oh no, you have to gain your righteousness. You have to gain your glory. You have to gain your honor. You have to gain your worth. You have to obey and you have to achieve and you have to merit And Paul is saying with the force of the first five chapters of Galatians behind him, let's not follow them and become a people seeking a worthless glory. Implied in this verse is all that Paul has said so far, which is this. You already have a spectacular, full, overflowing, amazing glory and worth and honor in the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, he says, let's not become conceited. He's saying, let's not leave what we have to go to something that won't work. How do we help others and not feel superior to them? Only by living out of the glory and the worth that we have in Jesus that is not connected in any way to to the way in which we help them. How do we help others and not feel superior to them? Only when we realize that the one we're helping at that very same time, if they're in the family of faith, they have the same worth and the same identity and the same glory and the same value in the eyes of the Father, the value of Jesus Christ. How do we allow others to bear our burdens, even the burden of being caught in an addictive sin? How do we do that and not feel inferior? (laughs) Only when we realize that we already have the righteousness and the identity and the worth and the glory of Jesus Christ by faith in the gospel. Only by saying to ourselves, if God accepts me, if God adores me, if God loves me, if God thinks highly of me, if God is excited about his future relationship with me, who cares what pe- these people think about me? Look at, look at verse two again. What's the law of Christ? It's the law he lived. It's the law to bear the burdens that we could have never borne on our own. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law of Moses because you couldn't. I couldn't. Jesus Christ defeated Satan and sin because we couldn't. Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God and was raised to new life on the third day because we never would have. He loved us, he saved us, he sacrificed himself for us. Paul does not say that verse five is the law of Christ. He says verse two is the law of Christ. The law of Christ is not bear the load others can bear. The law of Christ is bear the burdens other people can't burden because Jesus didn't carry a load we couldn't bear. He bore the burden we could never, ever, ever bear ourselves. Listen to the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2. He writes this. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. What's the foundation for gospel community? Where we're happy to humbly help where appropriate, where we're happy to not help where it would be inappropriate, where we're happy to be helped even when caught in an embarrassing sin. The foundation is the full glory that is already ours in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when we live in interdependent community, either with pride or with shame, 
we have walked away from what has been given to us in the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious gospel that it can meet us in our real lives and cause us to be joyful, cause us to be confident, cause us to be humble, uh, cause us to be full of life no matter what's going on in our lives or in the lives of those around us. Jesus, we thank you that you came and gave us your glory. We thank you that you did not want to spend eternity away from us, but instead wanted to have eternity with us. But not us uh, simply as servants who have been given mercy, but us as sons and daughters who have been given the Father uh, to enjoy forever. Jesus, would you please, by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand these things. Your word tells us that if we'll live like a community, more people who don't yet have this community will want to be a part of what we're doing. Your word tells us that we cannot move forward in Christ's likeness apart from one another. And yet, by you living in us, we must take responsibility for this path forward. God, these are complex things. These demand nuanced thinking. Uh, We will need wisdom to know how to walk forward in interdependent community. Would you give us that by the spirit we pray?